You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. Uh, today we are uh, we have a, a guest with us, like we've had on many occasions before. But this guest, I'm really excited about for a couple of reasons. The one is because you know sometimes I talk about mastermind groups and how helpful they've been to me. And our guest today is someone I met through my mastermind group that I was invited into by our prior guest Jeff Fruworth. He was he was on I think it was episode two or three. It was pretty early on. So if you want to go back into the archives, you can check out my history with Jeff. But Paul is, um, he lives in Mexico where the weather is always nice. And this episode coming out in the winter, I think we could all, uh, in- enjoy thinking of, um, lying on a, a warm Mexican beach in the Riviera with a, uh, with a drink in our hand. So Paul is on with us. Say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here. And, uh, uh, no, currently I don't have a drink in my hand, nor am I laying on the beach. But you can you can imagine that. So I'll, it's okay. I'll pretend in my head that you're on a beach with a maybe pina colada. I don't know, what's your favorite Mexican <laughs> beverage? I mean, we have we have cervezas, we have tequilas, we have so many things to choose from. There's a there's a creme de mezcal. So mezcal is like a tequila. It's made from the agave plant, and there's a there's a cream drink that's uh i mean it's it's like bailey's only it's mezcal and it's fantastic that actually sounds pretty cool you know fun, i a long time ago in my career i was in between jobs i'd worked at a bank then i uh, started working at a big telecom company in between i worked as a waiter at a uh, pretty high-end mexican restaurant for a few months and i got to learn all of the ins and outs of tequilas and mezcals far more than i would have ever imagined i would need to know but some of, some of the fun of that was I got to taste like a $75 margarita to see what that would taste like. Um, it, nice. it was it was a very good margarita. I don't know that I would pay $75 to repeat the experience. I think the, uh, <laughs> at that restaurant, the uh, I'd say $18 price point is about where you're going to where you're going to hit your maximum value taste ratio. Um, anything over that, your, uh, your incremental benefit isn't, isn't that huge, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those crazy things that here it is a thing to go out mezcal tasting and I don't care what city you're in, but like you can go out and drink and that's fine and all that, but, Oh, let's go out mezcal tasting. And seriously, you walk into this bar and there's like, 15, 20 chairs, maybe tops. It's just this tiny little space. And the wall behind the bar from ceiling to floor is loaded with different Mezcal bottles, different bottles from different Mezcal artisan, uh, not brewers, distillers. And so like (laughs) you can spend a lifetime there just tasting. All I'm doing is tasting, honey. That's it. I'm just tasting. I just need one more taste. Or just one yep. more flight. <laughs> you know, fun, exactly. fun thing of mezcal and versus tequila. A lot of people don't realize it's a um, one of those like regional trademark things. So for tequila to be actually called tequila, it has to be made in the tequila area in Mexico. And a drink that is made exactly the same way in Texas or another part of Mexico is technically a mezcal. Um, similar to like champagne versus sparkling wine. And how every country in Europe thinks that they own the definition of chocolate. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> like there's this big battle like, and there's- of the French and the Swiss. Like, no, ours is chocolate. Yours is just some cocoa based dessert thing. I'm like, it's all chocolate. Come on. And the fun part is, is you know, chocolate cocoa. You know, was never cacao was never grown in Europe. So it's probably how they can South all, America, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. So um, so anyway, let's uh, let, let's get into it. So your background, for people who don't know anything about you, Paul works online. He lives with his family in Mexico. He's been recently dealing with some of the exciting bureaucracies of the uh, Mexican government getting long-term visas and residency permits. But before he was at a point he was able to deal with all that, he had a job that he had to leave that let him work anywhere in the world. So let's Tarantino it back up in time. And, and start at the beginning, now that we know the end, we know where you're at now. How did you start on this journey to self-employment? Yeah, well, so I was a nerd, okay? Like, let's just get that out there. Total geek. I actually had the pocket protector and worked in in a server room. I was surrounded by a thousand servers, and it was me and a team of like five or six guys. And so that was... I mean, total nerd, right? And I just did something uh, really and nerdy with servers. I actually bought a um, an Intel. I don't know if it's called a NUC or a Nuke. It's N U C. It stands for Next Unit of Computing. These little computers that come with no hard drive, no operating system, no RAM. And um, I put my RAM in. I ordered the wrong size hard drive, so I dismantled one of my old external <laughs> hard drives. I ordered a three and a half inch. I needed a two and a half inch. Uh, and popped it in there yep. and installed Ubuntu. And now um, it is my uh, my media server, so I, I feel like I'm, nice. I'm, I'm a legit nerd that, now that I have a Linux media server that can Chromecast using my phone anywhere uh, in the world. <laughs> well, we'll we'll take it one step up. Uh, you know how when you're in an elevator and it gets stuck, and you pick up a telephone, and somebody on the other end has to answer that phone. I managed the system that made sure that anywhere you were in any elevator in anywhere in the world that you would have a direct connection to our call center, which happened to be in the Philippines. But uh, <laughs> Help, I'm stuck yeah, in an well, elevator we had, in Michigan. We, Philippines, yeah, send help. And, <laughs> and that, literally, like, we had everything coordinated and all that. And so that's why, you know, downtime was, you know, a curse word. Uh, and it just didn't happen. So uh, anyways, so that's where I was. And I always thought, you know, I could start an IT business. Like, I'm always helping people with their computers and blah, 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 friends and family. And, hey, you know, I got hit by a virus. Can you clean up my Windows 95 machine? You know, blah, blah, blah. This was back in the day. And Around 1995, um, let's say. <laughs> no, that didn't come out till 97, just in case you wondered or didn't remember so that. But yeah. I didn't remember that. <laughs> oh, they were so far behind back then. That's why they now... Now it's just you know, Windows it's just 10. Windows 8. Yeah, because they realized that they were ridiculed for always being behind schedule. So anyways, so, you know, I, I did all that and I kept trying to start a business. Like I printed off business cards and would charge people to fix their computers. And it just like, it just never stuck. And I've always wanted to have a business just because I thought only, you know, the only way to be rich was to have a business. And so that kind of a lame reason to want to be an entrepreneur, but it just like, yeah, hey, I want to be the rich. The pursuit of that. money is okay. This is called the personal profitability <laughs> podcast, not the personal net loss podcast. Yeah. We all want to be rich. Well, 
it depends on the day and the business as to how that all works out. But <laughs> anyways, um, a long story short, you know, I just, I kept changing jobs and working in IT for different businesses. And one day I was working in IT in a small marketing firm. So they had about 30 to 40 employees and, uh, and I managed their help desk. I managed their servers that ran 200 websites for their clients, blah, blah, blah. And I told their web developers that they were selling SEO wrong. And they were like, what do you mean? You don't know anything about that. And I was like, yeah, I actually read because I'm completely self-taught in the IT world. And so like, I just, I read to expand my knowledge and believe it or not, IT work is not that hard and is not that difficult. And I had a lot of free time to expand my mind by reading Wikipedia. And that's what most IT nerds do. But then anyways, the... To complain to each other we about got, everything. Right? Yeah. That's the other place to we, find IT nerds. <laughs> yep. Totally. <laughs> and so then he said, fine, well, you try it then. You do it. And that began um, the six-month process of me working two jobs for this agency at the same time of where I was running their digital marketing. They were a traditional advertising and marketing agency for print, radio, etc. And then they had a, a small web team who built some pretty incredible websites. But, you know, that was it. They just built these websites and they had, you know, in their budget that they were doing SEO. And I was like, no, you're not. And they, you know, they were just quote unquote, optimizing it, and they weren't even doing that correctly. So I was able to to jump in there and manage some PPC ads, manage some SEO for them, and then really quickly told my boss, hey, I need to, I need to hire somebody to do the IT work because I'm doing this and it's a full-time gig. And they saw the profitability there. And so I was able to not only hire to replace myself in IT, but I hired four people under me in the digital marketing arena and, uh, and essentially built that company's digital marketing um, business, which is still going strong. There's now 15, 20 employees in that unit. Um, but then cool after about three years, behind. yeah, it is fun. And so, and the three people that I hired, three of the four are still there. And one of them is running the show now. So it's just, it's kind of fun to go like, Hey, I can actually make good choices when it comes to hiring. And so, but then I stepped away because I realized the, the econ, the, excuse me, the economics of how that marketing agency was run. And I was killing myself for it. I was working 70 hours in the office. Plus I was commuting an hour each way. So that's 10 hours a week. Plus I was working in the evenings and it was just like, it, it, I didn't see my wife and kids for maybe an hour a day, and it was it was just I was dying, That's and no I way didn't to know. Live. That's rough. But I was I was getting angry because it is so profit driven, and you have to be a hundred percent billable. And in the position I was in, it was very difficult to achieve that because I was doing sales and you know management, and then trying to do actual work on top of that to build to the client. So, you know, it was just, it was insane. And, and I looked at the numbers that we were charging these clients and I went, I only need one or two of these clients and I'll be, you know, just making it rain. And so on my own, and I had a, a couple of friends step in and help me and coach me. 
And, uh, and then I stepped out on my own with only one client who was only a short term. It was a two month client and a two month project. And I knew that, but it was enough to give me a bit of a encouragement to step out. And then when I quit my, you know, I turned in my two weeks, my agency then tried to find somebody to replace me and they couldn't. And so they asked me to work on four of the projects that I had previously, I was managing anywhere from 12 to 18 projects at the time. They asked me to work on these four projects at my new hourly billable rate, which was twice what I was making essentially. And, uh, and so for the, I made in the next four months, I brought in probably close to 60 grand. And so, you know, as a, as a person check. stepping out, yeah, as a person stepping out on their own for, you know, essentially I was becoming a freelance marketing guy and to step out there and, you know, within a week have guaranteed income for the next six months and more income, twice as much as what you were making before. It was just like, wow, okay. And, you know, so I didn't have any of the struggles that most normal people have when they start their own business of trying to make ends meet and struggling for years. Uh, day one, I was super profitable and I had to hire people right out of the gate. And what, uh, where were you living at this point in time? Were you living somewhere where the cost of living was pretty low or you know, how far did $60,000 go where you were? Well, I was, I was living in the woods in Michigan. So in some sense, yes, we, we did a cost of living comparison around the U.S. And the largest city to where we were living, which was an hour away, is Grand Rapids. And it's, it's a fairly, I mean, it's a Midwestern town. And so cost of living is Rapids. really inexpensive. Yeah. I it's, feel like I've driven It's a great there. place. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been to something but, Rapids. You know, no, I've been, to, I've been to another Rapids. I was in Rapids in South Dakota, I'm thinking now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. There's Similarly a lot of rapids. Named, There's Cedar Rapids in Iowa and all that. I've been through Cedar Rapids. I'm trying to think. There's... Yep. Yeah. Not that that has any relevance to this story. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in when I was working for the agency, I was making 75 plus bonuses. And when I stepped out, you know, in my first four to six months, I was making 60K. And so it was just like really obvious and you know like yeah you got your own insurance and you got your own taxes and all that but it was like this wasn't a hey this is going to be really difficult to make happen this was this was the right time and oh by the way this was 2010 which was only a couple of years after the you know the economy took a nosedive and and I was able to step out and you know, A, the marketing business where I was at had grown all the way through 2008, 2009 uh, because we were adding in the digital piece. And then in 2010, when I was able to step out on my own and just saw it take off because everybody was jumping on board. What is social media and how can I use it to, you know, whatever? And I don't know it. So can I just hire you to do it? So we did a lot of social media, a lot of SEO and a lot of content marketing, you know, for the last six, almost seven years now. So you used the word we a, a few times in there and providing the services. At what point did you stop trying to do everything yourself? Were you trying to do everything yourself in the beginning and then realized, okay, I need help? What was what was that whole situation like? Well, I've always wanted to so take a step back in my story and do another Tarantino move. Before 
like I'm actually, I went to a religious school and got a religious degree. I majored in Bible and theology. So like, you know, I'm totally not working in my uh, education or not using my education in my day job or I wasn't when I was doing IT. But there was a gentleman in my church who took me under his wing and showed me how to do computers and uh, sent me in in front of a a Unix machine in 93 and 94 and taught me. And that was basically when, you know, Gopher and email was just coming out and web shortly on its heels. And so I learned all of that back in the day. I remember um, Gopher. And (laughs) yeah, through, you know, through volunteering and, and, training myself and studying under a guy who was telling me what to do. And so, you know, that was fantastic. But I looked back on that as I've made a lot of money thanks to that. I've had an incredible career thanks to that. And I've always wanted to give back, you know, the pay it forward concept of how can I take somebody who doesn't have a clue about what they're doing, pay them, hire them and train them so that they can benefit and I can benefit. And what I found was that there were, you know, I found over the course of the last six years, I've worked with probably four individuals who, you know, have stayed with me multiple years of where I've been able to give them a really solid education on the job education and pay them. And, uh, and I've been able to benefit from that. So, you know, I have people who I delegate things to where I don't have to do the work and then that that helps me to stay above the you know the daily grind of you've just got to tweet this out or you've got to put this in wordpress and schedule it and all that and it's just like i'd be more than happy to assign somebody to do that and so I, really what happened is because i had built the department at the previous agency and then had all this guaranteed work it was within so like i started in october And it was within, it was by January that I had a person on staff full-time dedicated of where he would, you know, like basically I would just tell him, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, and teach him how to do things. And so that I could focus more on the sales, on the client management, and on the higher level strategy stuff. What were the hardest parts of outsourcing and bringing on a full-time person? I think for me, you know, it's very true for lots of people, but for me, it's the, you know, I now have four kids back when I started, we had three and it's the, the stress of like, I have a family to feed and, you know, if it's just me, it's no big deal. I can go out and get a job. I can, you know, whatever, we can figure things out if things don't work. But when it came to hiring other people and it's now like, I feel responsible for their family as well. And for, you know, like all that, I've had to let, uh, let's see, one of them go due to, we we had a downturn in in clients. And so that, you know, that was really, really hard because I'd never wanted to do that. Fortunately, because I mostly hire young people, they don't end up having kids, so I don't feel as guilty. And then the other thing is that, you know, I'm able to give them an extreme education And all of them that have worked for me in the past have used this education to go on and and land some pretty killer jobs. So it's it's one of those things of where, you know, I'm not I'm not when I started it, I was really concerned about 
now I have to feed two families or three families. And now I kind of realize, you know, I am doing so much good for them in feeding them now, you know, paying them, but also equipping them for their future position that, you know, no matter what happens, they're going to be better off than they were when they started with me. So, yeah, initially it was a whole lot of guilt and not guilt, but nervousness, fear. And uh, but I think I've overcome that now, you know, just through time and experience and going, you know what? it is good to work for us or for with us and then, you know, get all this knowledge and be able to develop your career beyond us. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So the people you've hired, were they US based? Were they foreign based? And you said uh, when you were working on the, uh, the get stuck in the elevator thing, they were mostly in the Philippines. Is that where you looked to because you were comfortable with it? What was your, how has your hiring strategy been? And has it changed over time? My hiring strategy has definitely changed over time. I have tried the cheap labor thing and, and I avoid it like the plague now. I have, (laughs) you get what you pay for, but it's also like, I, the cheap labor thing is you need to manage it. Mm -hmm. You need to spend a lot of time, you know, investing in those people and managing them and making sure they're doing the right thing, et cetera. And I found for me, the way I operate mentally is once I delegate it, like it's done. I don't want to see it back unless you have a question. Then I'd be more than happy to help you and show you how to do it or whatever and teach you. But it's in your court now and I'm not going to babysit you. And I found for me, like I know a lot of people who can, who can manage cheap labor and make good profit that way. But for me, I just mentally it is such a drain to go back to, I already told you how to do this. And by the way, I already assigned it to you and I shouldn't have to be back here figuring out why you haven't done it. So what I found actually is Eastern Europe has provided some of the best quality resources for me. So uh, I happen to have uh, a couple of good leads in Czech Republic. And so that's where I've had my two most recent, well, not even recent, my two. So of the four that I was talking about, uh, the two middle ones would be in there, um, that they're both from the Czech Republic and one of them is still working with me. And so like, it's just, they're just, they're really high quality workers. They just have a really strong work ethic and they have a little bit of English difficulty, but if you can get past that, they, you know, you assign something to them and they do it and they just get it done. And that's what I was looking for. Do you find that your world traveling lifestyle helps improve your relationship and communication and helps you get over cultural issues that some more, you know, fixed location uh, business owners might have when looking abroad? I think in general, I mean, I traveled the world before we had kids and before I started business and all this. And I've always been, I've been, you know, my first international trip without my parents was when I was 13. So Where'd it's, you go? it's not, uh, back then was the UK and Ireland. And then when I was 14 was Australia and New Zealand. So, cool. you know, easy because they all were English speaking, but it was just, you know, it was where I fell in love with travel. And, uh, and I knew I wanted to do that. My wife fell in love with travel separately when she was a teenager. And so when we got together, we knew that we wanted to, in fact, we got married, quit our jobs and traveled the world for a year and then came back depressed because we were supposed to be in Thailand and plans didn't work out. So we came home and then the tsunami hit and it was Uh, like, Oh, we would have been on the beach there. Okay. God, 
thanks. We'll be in the States for a little while. And so like, it's one of those things of where, you know, sometimes you get to see the writing on the wall and, and, and you know why things happened. And so that's what happened there. But I would say all of that plays into the fact that uh, I'm very, very much culturally sensitive and world focused and world minded. So when it comes to, you know, like understanding cultural differences and all that, I'm very prepared for that and and enjoy that. And so, um, yeah, my staff and I, we often talk about differences uh, in in that sort of thing. I have a Canadian who's living in Thailand right now. uh, And when the, the, the monarch, the king died, he, um, you know, he was explaining how all that went and his, you know, his in-laws are all Thai. And so it's just very fun to engage with that and experience that cultural difference you know, third party, but uh, yet to to work through all that. So all that being said, am I better equipped to handle it? I've worked, you know, I've worked with Filipinos before. Um, we've been to the Philippines since. And yeah, I think, I think if you have a broader worldview than what the U.S. media teaches and what the U.S. schools teach, I think you're more equipped to handle the fact that, hey, guess what? Not everybody works the same way you do or has the same work ethic as you do. And how do you navigate that to make it a win-win for both your staff and yourself? I remember in my uh, before I left my day job, I would sit and you know, I'd talk with people who were pretty well-educated people. These were a lot of people, the MBAs, um, you know, finance people I was working with mostly, or product management, and uh, you know, talking about differences in work around the world. They were always it was like they'd never heard of some of these things, like. How it, you know, it's easy. Like a lot of people, the, uh, I don't want to pick on specific groups. Um, a lot of people, you know, look at, you know, let's say France is picked on by a lot of people in America for whatever reason, yes. even though we probably wouldn't yes. be a country without them. Right. Their work week, their attitude, a lot of people say, oh, it's so bad. They're so lazy. They don't want to work. It's not that they don't want, they're lazy. It's that they don't want to spend their life at work. They want to spend their life with their family. And, right. you know, in Germany and most of Europe, they get a month holiday a year um, that they often are required by law to take, you know, multiple weeks in a row. And, you know, things like, um, you know, maternity leave and paternity leave that they have in Scandinavia. You know, there's these amazing work styles in the world that we're so insulated to. And, um, yeah, the way our, our media and our culture is, it's like, go to work, go to work, go to work. and I think that's a, you know, there, there's a lot of good things about wanting to be productive, you know, both you and I being business owners, and we talk about this a lot in our mastermind calls, feel a, almost like a guilt if we're not working too hard on our businesses. But that's our Very own business true. and our own choice. Uh, when you're an employee, yep. like we both were, and, and like most people in this country are, you know, you're frowned upon for you know if you put in less than 40 hours at your desk and you're not the first one in and out the door but i actually really like and i think it's in sweden there's a cultural a cultural norm that if you work more than 35 hours a week it's actually frowned upon not because you're not working hard enough they say you have a full job time job you should be able to do it in 35 hours and then go home and be with your family i think that is the most amazing work ethic it's you know, be productive, work hard, do well, and do it within the the allotment so you can go out and enjoy your life, which yep. is amazing. That's why, you know, 
I bring up Europe a lot because I, I, I love European culture. I actually think I might have, may have been European in a past life. I like electronic dance music <laughs> and jeans that fit tighter than most <laughs> Americans. And um, I, I just think I'm, I might. And I like um, saying aluminium. I just think that rolls off the tongue nicely, as they say in England. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So uh, now you, you live in Mexico. You're your own boss. What does your day-to-day work life look like? And if someone else wanted to travel and work like you do, you know, what, what kind of insights could they pull out from your experiences and, and how you've been able to structure your, your work life and family life? Well, we're at a really cool crossroads now of where you, like, there's, there's almost a two tier of location independent revenue. And, and I have the lower class uh, tier of location independent revenue. The higher class tier is, you know, I hate this term and I can't even think of it because I hate it so much, but the, uh, erased it from your brain. Yeah. What is the, um, we make money without a passive income. There we go. And so there's this, you know, all this stuff about passive income that in reality, it's not actually passive. You have to work hundreds of hours to get it to the point where now it's making money for you. And if you don't work at it, it'll stop making money. So how is that passive? Here's how it's passive in the sense that today, if I don't work, I will have no money coming in. However, when I start getting into more of a passive income situation, like, for example, like I can't bill for the hour that I'm talking to you on the phone because, you know, this is good and fun, but you're not a client. And so I can't bill you. And so I'm not making money. And that's trading hours for dollars. I what my you day normally. <laughs> I could, though, but uh, no, <laughs> um, you wouldn't pay it. Uh, the when we come when we come to look at location independent revenue and how that all works and whatnot it, there's there's this huge opening now of where you don't have to have the you know uh, the passive income streams to be able to afford this you don't have to be you know born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you know have you know a check coming at you every month what no matter what you do in order to afford this lifestyle instead Folks like me, I'm in a transition period, but for the last two and a half years that we've been doing this lifestyle is I wake up and I work eight hours a day. I'll, I'll do two hours in the morning before the kids wake up and before breakfast. I'll do two hours, two to three hours between breakfast and lunch, another two to three hours between lunch and dinner. And if I didn't get enough, I'll work a couple hours after the kids go to bed. So well, that seems like not exciting at all. I'm working all day. However, the thing is, I never miss a meal with my family. Mm. And if I take a day off, like, for example, like a Saturday or a Sunday that most Americans take off, if I take the weekend off, we go to places like the beach in Mexico or, you know, a floating market in Thailand or something like that. It just so happens we happen to be living in an exotic place that when you go out for the weekend or you go out for an evening, it's really stinking amazing. And so that's where, like, we live in an amazing time of where location-independent revenue or remote jobs are available all over the place, and you don't even need to be skilled. I mean, a lot of good-paying customer service jobs 
are available where they just want you on the phone or on an online chat available between these hours. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Once you're done with that, like you made your money for the day and now you get to go out and play in some exotic place like, you know, Cancun or Costa Rica or wherever it is that you happen to be living. So, you know, that's one thing that I want to get out there is just the encouragement that, hey, you can do this as a normal making money thing. You're just making it remotely. You can be working a job or being a freelancer or whatever. And so you're trading hours for dollars and and that's okay. I am in a transition because I've wanted to, ever since starting a business, I've always wanted to be to that point where I don't have to bill by the hour or I don't have to bill hourly at all or I don't have to do any of these hourly calculations. And so I've recently transitioned, uh, thanks to our mastermind and a lot of the help over the years there, have been able to develop a service that I can productize. And so now, like, I kind of fibbed a little bit saying that if I don't work today, I won't make any money. It's actually the first of the month that we're recording this. And so money is coming in because uh, invoices went out, et cetera, and, and credit cards are getting charged and all that because we're on a monthly cycle of that, you know, this product is being serviced, is being delivered to them every month. And so they're being billed every month. And, uh, and that just means that I have very predictable schedules. And yesterday, uh, I didn't have any work. You know, I had answered all my clients' emails and I didn't necessarily have anything that I needed to do. And we had a couple of errands we needed to run in town. Uh, we're living in San Miguel de Allende, which is the land of eternal spring and quite, and many times have been voted the world's best city. Uh, it's always in the top five. And in the last five years, I think three of the five years, it's been number one. And it's just, it's a fantastic place. And so going into the city to run errands on cobblestone streets and, you know, where these giant, you know, three times as tall as a human puppets are being walked down the road called Mohigangas. And, you know, there's always a celebration. There's always a fiesta and things. It's just this incredible atmosphere. And that's what I did yesterday afternoon because I could, because I'm in that transition period now of where I don't have to work every hour of every day to make sure that I'm bringing in enough money to afford our lifestyle. So to answer, long answer to your question, but <laughs> what I do is, like I said, I still, I'm, I'm working fewer before, fewer hours before breakfast, uh, just because the tranquilo of Mexico is starting to invade my blood. I've been here for a year now. And uh, so after breakfast, I'll get working uh, for a couple hours and then after lunch for a couple more hours. And by the time dinner rolls around, I'm done for the day. That's and awesome. so it's it's quite quite nice. I still squeeze in probably six hours a day, but there are plenty of days where I don't even get to my four hours and, and I'm done for the day. So uh, yeah, it's it's been a really great transition. Oh, that's awesome. I in our masterminds we've talked about, you know, one of the biggest benefits of being your own boss and having, you know, I, I live in an apartment in in a city in, in the US, so I'm not I'm traveling around the world as much as I dreamed I would have when I left my job. But um something that I'd brought up that really resonated with one of the guys in our group was every once in a while we we live about, you know, two blocks a block and a half from a, a shopping center with a um a grocery store and a Rite Aid and a bunch of stuff. And in the right aid, there's a Thrifty's ice cream shop. And when my uh, wife, you know, my wife grew up about 20 minute, 30 minute drive from where we live. And her grandma used to take her to Thrifty's for ice cream all the time. 
And um, she tells these funny stories that when she would take all the grandkids, she wouldn't get her own cone. She'd just help the others clean theirs up so they wouldn't drip. Uh, some of the calories didn't count, <laughs> nice. right? Um, but, you know, every once in a while, my wife's, you know, especially on a warm day, you know, now it's, um, it's like winter season, so it's only in the high 60s and sunny every day. But in the summer, when it's in the 70s and 80s and sunny, <laughs> when it's so much hotter, uh, sometimes we'll say, hey, let's go up the street and get an ice cream in the afternoon. And... Well, I do kind of work more traditional hours. That's when my clients are working. Being able to just go in the afternoon without telling anybody, without getting clearance from my boss, just being able to, you know, throw my shoes on or or whatever and walk up the street and get an ice cream cone with my little girl. That just being able to do that for a couple minutes makes working for myself, all those stresses melt away. It's, It's such an awesome thing to be able to, for you, go into town for me, you go up the street and get an ice cream or walk five minutes the other way down to the beach. It's not quite quite as nice as the Mexican beaches. We look out at oil platforms here, but a beach is a beach. I'll take Ooh. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's an awesome uh, part of, part of being able to you know live this lifestyle. So what, um, what do you think your, your biggest challenges in business you're trying to overcome right now? And where do you see yourself going in the future as you're productizing and building your business? What, do you have like a five-year plan you're working towards, something like that? I do. I actually want to shift. Like, I want this business to be to the point, this marketing business, where it's uh, completely self-sustaining. And so, uh, for some reason, I always answer your questions, last question first. Uh, and so, we'll just go with the five-year plan. But I want it to be self-sustaining in the sense of where I'm... You know, to a certain degree, you know, a CEO of the board or uh, president of the board. And so I don't run the operation. I don't make the day to day decisions, but, you know, I'll chime in once in a while and that sort of thing and try to, you know, when I got some extra time, jump in there and improve things and try to, you know, or whatever, or be the spokesperson or go out and do the talks so that people hire our company because, hey, they saw Paul speak at this conference or whatever. So that's kind of the, the goal, the long-term goal with that business, I have another business that I've been growing. It it hasn't yet ever been profitable, so probably shouldn't talk about that on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, we we um, all have struggles to get to where we are, right? Yeah, and well, it's one of those long-term things of where you got to build the audience before you can actually make profit there. And you got to give and give and give for free until the point where you can actually nail a product that they're all going to purchase. And so, uh, and that, that industry that the market that I'm building that around is other traveling families and, or those who want to travel. And so we're still, you know, there's not a whole lot of money up for grabs versus my marketing business where you're dealing with businesses who have bottom lines and they need to see sales increase and all that. And so, you know, it's very easy to justify spending a couple hundred bucks a month. Whereas you're talking to individual consumers and their families and they're trying to live with less and off of less. How can I convince them to give me a couple hundred bucks a month? That's going to be a challenge, but it's something I'm up for. It's where we're pivoting as a family. We're definitely focused that direction. And so on our mastermind, we talk often about, you know, the Google time, the the 20%, the Friday time or whatever. That's what I'm investing my time and effort into is to try and grow that business and see what's going to come of that. So all that being said, 
I don't remember the first part of your question. Oh, that was a, that was a good answer. I'm I'm always guilty of chain questions. I think, and half of them probably don't get answered. But that's uh, yep. when you're a chain question asker. That's just part of the uh, comes with the territory. I feel like as long as they're open ended enough that um, yeah. They, they, even if each little piece isn't answered, it's it's a good story, right? <laughs> so speaking exactly. of good stories and where you're going next, uh, we're nearing our end of our time. If people want to find you, if they want to connect with you, if they want to you know, hire you for SEO or learn more about the uh, location-independent family business, where should they go? Yeah, lots of places, lots of information there. So uh, going with the SEO stuff first, we actually offer a couple of different productized services. I do some straight up consulting by the hour, but for the most part, our bread and butter right now is that we've found this really awesome product for SEO of where we provide content for you and we provide the backlinks for you. We do the outreach because if you're building content and you're not marketing it, you're not outreaching and getting links built to it, then you're wasting your time on your content. And I'm saying that to a guy who writes content for a living, so I got to be careful. But uh, so that's at connectsdigitalmarketing.com. You can go there and see our products listed and um, and feel free to you know spy on us and, and judge us as an agency. But then our personal travel blog is called homealongtheway.com. And we are on the socials uh, under Home Along the Way, so you can find us across the internets there. And that's if you really want to know my kids' names and you want to live vicariously through us. If, however, you actually want to step out there and make this happen, and you've got kids and or planning on having kids, and you're wondering, how in the world can I travel the world, etc.? Well, two years ago, we went to 30 different countries in the course of six months. And now we're living in one country in an entire year, but we're traveling through... We've been to 75% of Mexico in the past year. So we've got some advice, just a little bit, or actually a whole lot of it. Uh, and you, you can find that... Along the way? Oh, man, so much. And when we first started, there was no community for families doing this. And all the basic questions of like insurance and education and how do you do banking and all that... like. It's all answered for single entrepreneurs, and it isn't answered for you know those of us. That's my dog. He's telling me that he's thirsty. Very different. Uh, <laughs> that, that is awesome. Yogi. Yogi. This um, would not be a personal profitability podcast episode without Yogi in some way saying hello. <laughs> inserting himself <laughs> so that you can find at nomadtogether.com and we have a podcast there which is probably the best way we're approaching 50 episodes now of where you can actually get like i have a lot of people who go back to the beginning and listen to each one and it just tells us really great story and how to and, and actually it's more on the practical advice of how to make this lifestyle a reality for you and your family that's awesome. And everyone who's listening, if you didn't catch all that or write it down, don't fret. It'll all be in the show notes. Um, so you can find all the links to Paul and Home Along the Way and Nomad Together and everything he's doing. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So thank you so much, Paul, for, yeah, that's, he's, we have this, it's uh, time to go because you have yeah. to give him water, right? Eh? Yeah. We have this, I, we pull up his water because we have a one year old and she thinks that his water is a toy. So we pull it up, but now the daughter's gone. Water is still up. I didn't put it down before the 
the episode. So <laughs> sorry, everyone, for having Yogi join another episode. But thank you so much for listening to the end. Thank you, Paul, for being a part of it. Uh, if you think the episode is great, the uh, the only I don't ask for any kind of payment. I just love if you could give me a rating in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you think I have room for improvement, shoot me an email, Eric at personalprofitability.com, and uh, let me know what I can do better to help meet your needs and answer your questions. And um, as always, thanks for being a part of this great community. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.